0: Film Files, what's happening? We have made our way back to the air. Very excited about this show. I always say that, usually mean it, today for sure mean it. We have uh, a familiar face, a new face, so uh, let's just uh, move right along. Screenwriter, actor, novelist, Sandball, what's happening?
1: Hey, Jimmy, good to be here.
0: And uh, producer, director, entrepreneur, Corey
1: Gilbert. Hello, how are you? Thanks for having me, Jimmy.
0: Uh, So yeah, we chose a film from 1989 And uh, funny enough, it was the second movie in a row to really encapsulate the really hot summer of 1989. Did you realize that? Oh, yeah. This was released a week after uh, Weekend at Bernie's. That was our last film that we did.
1: Was it Weekend at Bernie's? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that that movie came out in the same year. I, yeah. worked, I was working at a movie theater in college when Weekend at Bernie's 2 came out. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, the overall consensus uh, last episode was we all kind of really wanted to watch Weekend at Bernie's 2. But we're not. The movie that we have chosen is Do the Right Thing from 1989. We watched it, so let's talk about it. You're listening to 90.7 W A Z U, and this is Movie Show Theater. Cool
2: fasten your seatbelts it's going to be a bumpy night good morning vietnam i drink your milkshake i'm not bad i'm just drawn that way keep the change you filthy animal I'm Sorry, you just tough a dead body get busy living i get busy dying. Keep living, man. L I V I N. That's goddamn right. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You ain't heard nothing yet.
0: So yeah, we mentioned the really hot summer of nineteen eighty-nine. Spike Lee's just fascinating director. I guess before we get into to, to all of that, Sam, is there? Uh, did you make time to watch anything this week?
3: Uh, well, I watched. I started watching the Defiant Ones on HBO. Uh, that's a fascinating series. Uh, but i haven 't gotten around to i don 't think watching any of the new movies i, I want to see, uh including Dunkirk, oh yeah, in Detroit, which is coming out, which i'm really excited to see yeah yeah
0: and uh what are you working on what do you what are you keeping yourself busy busy uh, with? well i 'm
3: working on a a book right now i'm i'm about in the second half of finishing it it 's a uh, uh neo noir uh reimagining of three Norse myths uh takes place in the modern day. And it's it's been fun. It's called Stately Valley Stacy. Hopefully it'll be done within the year. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, Corey, do, did you watch anything? I know we're all very busy people, but...
1: I, I did. Well, I went and saw Dunkirk um, at the music box. I don't know. I read a bunch of stuff about Chicago not necessarily having the correct 70-millimeter screens to watch that film, but it was being oh. shown in 70 mil at the music box. So I went and saw that last Saturday morning. Excellent film. Uh, it was probably... In the last couple of years, it's like the first film I've really been awaiting. There just hasn't been a whole lot, at least, in that I've been interested in in the last couple of years. But that doesn't mean there isn't good stuff out there. But I was really, really excited to see it. So.
0: You, do you think it was more the uh, the subject matter or just the name Christopher and Nolan that are attached to, to the project?
1: It's certainly th- his name attached to it. Um, I think that he's established himself as a very important filmmaker, a very... A very qualified, very um, awesome filmmaker. So, yeah, it was the, it was his name attached to it. Probably the most for me is his name attached to it. Um, he's one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, some, of, some of my friends said, oh, another World War II movie. Do I really need to go see another World War II movie? And, you know, oh, I mean, every story is unique. And the war genre is always going to be an interesting genre. I don't see any reason for people to, to not think that they can't still explore that. Uh so I, so that was my retort to a couple of my friends, but I thought it was a great film. I'd like to go see it again.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting to put historical parameters on a director who's got such an incredible uh visual sense and and an incredible imagination, you know what I mean because mm-hmm. you can't run wild too much because you're limited by you know what happened
1: right i i it's it's interesting. I just saw something on the internet earlier today. Uh, about Christopher Nolan being completely self-taught. I did not know that. It does not surprise me, uh, but he didn't, like many great modern filmmakers, like David Fincher, for one, mm-hmm. none of them went to technically film school. Now I know David Fincher did a lot of work for uh, Skywalker Studios and stuff when he was a lot younger, so he was exposed to it. But yeah, I didn't know Christopher Nolan was completely self-taught, which is awesome. It makes yeah.
3: sense. His, uh, I mean, he, he appears to be someone who was taught by watching film, because his style is very reminiscent of, of the 70s stripped down style that you were getting with uh, movies like Taxi Driver. Um, I don't know what causes it to look that way, but Taxi Driver and uh, Dog Day Afternoon, these, these movies that seem to, to to be just frames filled with thin lines, if that makes any sense, and uh, cold.
1: Gritty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Visceral and gritty. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: Not
0: afraid to show the dirtiness. Right.
1: Exactly. I mean, Reservoir Dogs had that look. It did. You know, I think that's very intentional with a guy like Quentin Tarantino. He seems to be very much, from what I understand, you know, he's very much in plays homage and admits it outwardly. Like I'm paying homage to all the 70s movies that I love. But, you know, that film had that that look for sure.
0: Yeah, the film school thing is a really interesting concept because you see not very many majors. Do you see such polarizing opinions? You know, there was a, a, a brief time when I moved up here that I was like, yeah, I think I do. I think I do want to invest $200,000 $200, or so into an art school, be it Columbia or, or whatever. So I did all this reading, and you read a lot of opinions. I read one. It was from a director who said, I would, I would so much rather work with somebody who has not gone to film school and knows that he doesn't know shit about the industry than to work with somebody who has gone to film school and thinks he knows everything. And granted, that's one man's opinion, but it's a very—I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of probably uh, negative connotations, a lot of fallacies that people think of what film school is going to be.
3: Yeah, I'd say it's that sounds that sounds like it would hold true, and it, it makes sense. I mean, you've got these kids who come out of film school, and they feel like they've got they've got a grasp on something, you know, and and they have no real real world experience and everything that they may have had in mind going into film school was probably destroyed by their teachers on purpose you know they the teachers all have their own agenda that they want their students to have, and the students are brought up to it's kind of ingrained into them that that these are the visions that they're supposed to approach film with or the film industry with whereas and and they may wind up into the same positions as people who never went to film school. people who, as you stated, would admit outright that they have no understanding and yet find themselves in the same position as these kids who went to school. And so I'd imagine that, you know, he, you've got someone who you've got two people on the same level, one whose bucket he assumes is completely filled up and has no interest in filling it any further. And one who sees himself as an empty one and is ready to drink in everything they can and ask questions, too. Oh, absolutely. Because I, I think how you could get, probably yeah. fuck up a film really easily by making
0: assumptions because you're too uh, prideful to ask questions you know
3: sure yeah and some somebody who has no experience got there by asking questions and by paying a lot of attention right because again as, as you guys were saying this is someone who knew nothing and got to this point anyway right someone who's like that lens is cool what's it do exactly
1: well that's the key uh i mean you have to no matter what you've got to learn you've got to learn the tools that you're working with um and you have to figure out a way to learn them from people that know how to use them correctly, so that you can figure out what they do. I will say this: I did not go to film school either. I did go to art school. I was a graphic design major, so and I worked as a graphic designer for years before I went into this world. Always wanting to go into this world, and that's very related. So, I certainly had concepts of color theory and and composition, and you know, because I had to do a lot of photography as a graphic designer, so I understood a lot. But I was, you know, I am kind of in that boat, I guess, where I didn't go to film school, quote unquote, right? Um, but I will say this, I think that all the things that I feel like I've been able to achieve and um, get good at, I guess, uh, in filmmaking was was due almost all in part to surrounding myself around people that did understand the technicalities and that, that were schooled cinematographers, production people. And, you know, I learned the process of, you know, the on-site production side through people that did go to Columbia College and most of the guys that were – and gals that worked very closely with me went to Columbia College. Some went to some others. But uh, that school, I must say, was doing something right if most of the crop that comes out of there were as, are as good as people that work for me in my production company, um, both inside my company but also the people that I hire independently to, to do the filmmaking.
0: Yeah. So, so when did you start uh,
1: P3? P3 Mediaworks we started – my brother Curtis and I started it in 2002. And we became incorporated in 2003. So we're in our 15th year. Mm-hmm.
0: And you guys do a lot of um, corporate narrative, short.
1: That's correct. We we do it all. I mean, we keep the lights on doing corporate work, industrials, um, a lot of work for agencies, um, a lot of work for corporations. And then, you know, the, the mission statement from way back in the day in 2002 was, or even probably going even farther back, was uh, we'd start a production company, try to do the corporate commercial side of things to generate the resources to make our movies because we didn't go to film school. You know, we're living that to a degree. I mean, what what happens is you uh, it's a it's a it's a serendipitous type of thing. Um, Our our business has grown and that's really great. But we are business owners and that takes up a lot of my time. So making movies is on Saturday and Sunday. That's when I write them, and that's when I pre-production them as much as possible. We have the I have the luxury, probably maybe not like a lot of filmmakers, and I try to not take this luxury for granted. I have a production company to lean on. Um, I have great people that work for me that can help me location scout. And when I can afford to give them a couple of hours a week on payroll to do those types of things and kind of hide the costs of... Of the of you know what independent filmmakers feel when it comes to budgets or lack thereof, I'm able to do that, and mm-hmm. that's something that I I don't take for granted because I've realized how much there's a lot of filmmakers, especially even here in Chicago that that are just you know working a day job of whatever it is, not even related to the field, and they're out there busting their butt and making content, and yeah. that's amazing.
0: That's great. So this is kind of an appropriate transition because our man of the hour, Spike Lee, did. Go to film school, but it wasn't until after it's like '91, I think, when he went and finished up his Master of Arts. And uh, this came out in '89. Was his second feature. His first one was She's Got to Have It, which I shame to, to say I have not seen that. But Spike Lee is a really fascinating director because you see this movie build as a comedy, and it is really really funny. And it's also very, very pertinent. It's very relevant. It's intelligent to, I mean, the highest standard that I hold certain directors at. You know, we were talking about Christopher Nolan, who is phenomenal and is great. And as a result, when we go and we see these movies that these directors make, the bar is set a lot higher. So it's kind of a curse. Like when uh, Alien Covenant came out, Blade Runner has always been my number one favorite movie since I was like 12 so Ridley Scott gets held to a higher standard than other people do and so I mean we won't get too much into Alien Covenant but <laughs> I was pretty disappointed all around with a lot of different elements and I mean he's he's not there to uh appease me I don't know if I'm you know represent the general consensus but yeah Spike Lee is one of those directors that you can watch this as you know a fun urban comedy about a day you know in the life of this neighborhood uh, or you can look at it from like a film scholar perspective i saw I watched this movie in in a film
3: class you know i don 't think that it was a comedy it's it 's flamboyant f- to be sure it 's very theatrical. Spike Lee seems like someone who based on this movie, spent a lot of time watching theater and wanting to see what was going on on stage from different angles. I found that very interesting to uh, an interesting way of viewing the movie. At times, it felt like a, it, it felt like a stage production. Certainly in the beginning, during the opening credits, oh yeah, very much. Uh, there was a shot with Martin Lawrence and uh, the two the two kids he was hanging out with uh, shot as they're on a, a balcony, and it's at an angle. And from that angle, you could easily. It felt like I was on the catwalk watching down, and that was a lot of fun to see. Uh, and there, it was very timely surprisingly so some of the things that happened in that movie i think i'm jumping ahead but no no that's
0: okay because it was i just i just watched a uh a news clip from earlier this year about a kid named rogan who got into a scuffle it started small and he got himself into trouble and he actually was put into like a chokehold by a police officer and incidentally died and there's these like cell phone videos of the cops like lifting him up and putting him into the car so yeah i mean it doesn't get much more relevant than that so there are i mean obviously most of his movies deal with race relations but they find a way to keep the mood and the attitude of this movie light to the point where these characters despite that they're all they all have a conflict nobody is without blame except for the I would argue, is like the the only noble.
3: Well, that's kind person. of the that's kind of the point yeah, too. Yeah, is yeah. is he, he he's the one who makes the the statement do the right thing, which I, I think is uh, based on something Malcolm X had said at one point to to do the right thing. But uh, he says that to Mookie, and I guess according to what I read about the movie, Danny Aiello had originally stated at the end of the film. Uh, Had said to Mookie, uh, you had to do, I guess you had to do the right thing. But when I was watching it, it, well, reading that about it made me reconsider what I had seen. Because when I was watching it, I felt that Mookie hadn't done the right thing in throwing that garbage can at the window. So there's a lot, there's a lot to take from that. But I felt that the only person who got anything, and, and DeMayer would have been the person who had gotten everything that he wanted, which was something simple. It was Ruby D, you know? Mm -hmm. He was after her the entire movie. And, and he was always doing the right thing for people, no matter how they treated him. It didn't really seem. I mean, you could. It was well. It's Ozzy Davis, so obviously you can see the hurt deep behind his eyes, you know. But he was always on the surface, very level-headed about things, and didn't let them get to him. And he focused on what he was after. And I felt that Mookie allowed the situation to take him over, and he caused the destruction of uh, Sal's pizzeria in in throwing that, in throwing the garbage can. Uh, so I would say that. Mookie didn't do the right thing. He lost his job and and ca- I mean caused a lot of destruction in the process. And I don't think that anybody except like you were saying, exactly what you said is that nobody's hands were clean at the end of that thing except for the mayor. But what I found most fascinating was what you had said also where uh it it, it kept it light. Their conflicts were kept light. And they had these these were people who were saying some really nasty things yeah. to each other, you know, throughout the film, but it always felt like it always felt comfortable in a way because they—they like they they, everyone knew who they were. They all knew where they were coming from and they all understood what they were saying and who they were talking to. And it seemed that, had everything happened the way that it did, um, and I believe that this is the, the main point of the film, is that at the end, they're all involved in a scuffle that you don't that I felt safe watching like I wasn't really worried I was like shit like shit's going down you know mm-hmm. but not not in a heavy way like this is something that has happened before and I think that that's why uh, you got the reaction from from the block that you did you know like the kids screamed fight and it didn't seem like it was the first time he'd screamed that and all yeah. the people were coming out to like wa- you know it was like watching a movie that was being projected on a screen in this, yeah. in this block area but w- what I l- well not love but what i f- felt was uh very poignant was the fact that the cops came in killed radio rahim and ruined this block and what was even worse is that it seemed like you know it had happened last week Mm -hmm. when when, uh someone had mentioned that they did the same thing to radio rahim that they had done to some other kid uh, and it didn't seem like it was something in the distant past and that's really fucking sad yeah there's a lot to this movie that I had never seen in film before and had always wanted to, and I'm very happy to have seen it. We kind of chose this movie
0: because I had asked Corey what were a few films that he had found inspiring, and uh, we've, never, we've never done a, a Spike Lee movie. And some directors like this, you can watch 30 seconds of it and now, oh, this is a Christopher Nolan movie. We said almost all of his films deal with race relations in some aspect. Old Boy kind of came out of left field summer of sam i mean it was brooklyn but you know there's there's elements of spike lee but and i've seen a fair amount i feel like do the right thing is such a classic spike lee film with his use of color with his use of camera movement with his use of characters and putting himself in the film but not painting himself in this like flawless arrogant light the way that some
1: directors do sure i I mean i think you're touching on some other spike lee films and what i think spike lee has proven is that uh he came out with his first several films with definitely with an agenda. I think it was an I think it was an appropriate agenda. I think it was an important agenda. But he also has shown that he he loves movie making and he loves storytelling. Uh, movies like Twenty Fifth Hour is one of my favorite movies of all time. And like you said, of course, he always has some like racial undertones always happening. But I think those are those are also just incidental to the story, regardless, right? Whether it, whatever filmmaker would be telling that story, uh, but Twenty Fifth Hour is not focused on that. It's focused on this guy, and the protagonist is a white guy, uh, and he and he goes of, of so far as to even kind of make the jerk in the movie is a black cop or the black DEA agent was a total jerk, right? Like you hated yeah. that guy. He was a he was a mother effer, Absolutely. you know. And so you know, see and that's a Spike Lee movie, right? You know, you know the the biggest thing. I just want to say this because I know it's probably been said before, but. You know, Spike Lee got accused of, you know, his movies are completely racist. I'm like, well, okay, but so Hollywood was racist the other way for like a hundred years. Yeah. And if you can't handle like one movie, I you know, then yeah. then, I, then I think you maybe just are, you know, uh, I think what we're doing is not critically thinking. And, and for me, the reason why I do the right thing is on my list. And probably at the core of why I love movies, the good ones, right? The ones that are out to do this is that they that they should at least force you to critically and analytically think which is concepts that we have lost especially in our educational system and i think that's by design i don't want to get on a tangent of of political civics but i mean th- that's that's a scary thing to me and and films like do the right thing are on my list because what mookie did at the end was a call to action for all people that are watching the movie to decide why he did it and decide what his motivations were and what his intentions were and he struggled i think they i think they showed this in the film that he stood there, albeit only for a few seconds, but they showed that he was struggling with what he wanted to do before he threw the garbage can. And I think what happened is, is because that it just happened on a block over there a week ago, you know, is why he finally threw the garbage can through his place of business and through the window of a man who he respected's business. But because it wasn't about him, it wasn't about Mookie anymore, it wasn't about Sal anymore, it was about, like you said, you know, that had happened before, like a week ago, in his world, and it was going to happen. It happened a week before that, and it's going to happen next week. Yeah, and he he decided to to plant a flag, right? Uh, and maybe it wasn't the right decision on the surface level, but maybe it was something that needed to happen. You know, if That's that makes what I'm sense. Wrestling with. yeah, you know, it, and, absolutely. And I think that I think the movie. What's interesting to me about do the right thing. Is that I think Spike Lee's intentions was that he wanted to fill the theaters with white people. That movie's for white people. Yeah, it's not for black people, at all. Because like most of the themes that we're seeing in that film, you know, the urban—that's you know, every day. That's like it's normal. You know, there's nothing new there. There's yeah. there's no there's no education going on in that film, for uh, you know, for Mookie and and people from Mookie's cultural background. That movie is specifically made for white people. And I think that movie is important enough to uh, not only is Spike Lee shown that he's a, like you pointed out earlier, Jimmy, that, you know, he's a film, he's a film scholar, but he's also his, an historian. And uh, that film, I think, needs to be shown in all high school civics classes. Yeah. Not film school. Show it in a civics class.
3: You know, it's interesting that you pointed that out, that that it was for white people. I hadn't actually considered who it was made for but as i was watching it you know the the way he films it is very reminiscent of you know, movies out of the 1950s those very white oriented like like my man godfrey you know uh the the angles that i was talking about were very theatrical because that's where the directors the white directors were coming from he was using that as a tool i think that's really fascinating. I had never thought about that <laughs> I hadn't just know.
0: There was a, a movie from the 50, 50s? Yeah, it was 50s. It was with uh, Robert Meacham, and he played a serial killer. It was called uh, Night of the Hunter, and he had love tattooed on one hand and hate tattooed on the other. And uh, he was telling this little girl, he starts off with this, let me tell you a story about love and hate. And it was, it was not verbatim, but it was very similar to Radio Rahim's monologue that he gives at the beginning when he's talking about his rings. And I love that... You know, we're talking. If if you watch this on a very basic level, and you don't get into the technicality of the film, it's still really good. It's it's got the formula. It tells a story. They don't they don't reconcile, but they can't for this movie to work. But it it has a good ending. But then you look at scenes. You know, when he turns his radio down for the Puerto Ricans, he uses the hand with the hate ring. When he turns the radio down for Mookie, he turns it down with his hand with the love ring. And I love this scene with the dude with the Larry Bird shirt when yeah. he runs over. John Savage. Yeah, it, it is. is. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, is. yeah, yeah. Yeah, good call. Because mm-hmm. um, they go through this whole thing about why did you scuff my shoes up? You shouldn't have brought this brownstone. But his scuff is on the right foot and he brushes past his left side and... I, I had a chance to watch it again and I, I caught it on the on the second round, but he kind of gives a look like I think Bugging Out knew that. I think that he knew that this isn't even the dude that scuffed his shoe, but he, he plays this scene out because maybe he needs to act out, you know, these small touches that are very intentional and not necessarily conscious as you're watching the movie. But uh, That's an that's
1: interesting. I never noticed that before, but I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think like what I think what Spike Lee's saying with his character is that here's a guy that, you know, obviously we recognize already in the film at that point that he's just this very like just Spastic. pissed off dude, yeah. man. Like he's just angry at the world. Right. He's angry at his and he doesn't even know why, you know, but it's probably from disenfranchisement for generations or whatever. And he'll look for any excuse to act out. Well, I would say, you know, his, his name is bugging out
3: and that's a military term. And I was, I was just thinking that th- I'm sure that that has something to do with it. Uh, the way he reacts to everything, his anger—I mean, he's certainly off kilter. I wonder if he's a representation of someone who has PTSD from living in uh, an area like that. He's always on edge. Absolutely.
1: Uh, that's fa- that's fantastic. I did not know yeah, that. I, I, um, I would bet money that Spike Lee had that in mind when he, you know, named him that. He's very intentional about his symbolism and all that. And I I don't, I I like that. I mean, sometimes symbolism doesn't work in that format. You know, sometimes it has to be more subtle or else it just gets hokey. But Spike Lee embraces outward, you know, literary tools and it works. And I think that, I think it's just because of, you know, the style that, that is it's a part of that grandiose style that you talked about. That's very inspired by Broadway and stage play. And, it, and so it works, you know, yeah. which is why, is which is why all the primary colors are all over the place in great too. Um, he changed his style a lot, his visual style. When you look at movies like summer of Sam and 25th hour, they look more like saving private Ryan. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. He, you know, he did, he did Absolutely. Mo better blues and he did, and he did, you know, school days and mm-hmm. she's got to have it and do the right thing all in that style. And then, you know, when he started taking on other genres, he he abandoned not he didn't abandon it, but he decided that, you know, it's better to tell these other stories in, in with a different format and a different style.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like the there are movies that I want. There are stories that I'd like to tell. And then there are stories that are personal to me. And I want I maybe he would want to be able to define them or, or, or you know, have his vision for these these very personal items. Uh, he's he's a fascinating director. I, I love the, the character studio
0: on everybody. I guess De Niro passed on the role of Sal, mm-hmm. and Danny Aiello thought it was a very lazy Italian-American stereotype, which on one side, yeah, it kind of is, but that's a real thing that existed in Ninth. That's something that exists now. I mean, if it's written lazy, for sure, but you know the way that they spend time with each character you know, do I think that Sal was prejudiced? Oh, 100%. Was he a racist? No, not at all. And I think that the scene with him and John Tortoro, when Tortoro is saying, we got to get out of this neighborhood, we should go back to our neighborhood. And, you know, he's explaining that, you know, these I, these kids were raised in my shop, and I don't normally have any trouble. I just think it's so fascinating. And it really helps with the emotion at the end when, Radio Rahim comes in with his boombox and he won't turn it down. And you you kind of, you get pulled into the scene. You're not like watching it from afar anymore because you've been following these characters for so long. Um, You've been following them around all day. And so I just think that putting the wrong hands, I think it would be lazy. And I think that Sal could come off as like just a curmudgeonly old racist man. But I don't think he was.
1: It's interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll be quick. Uh, I I have a book. It's a it's a from script to screen from do the right thing. So the entire script is in it and then some reiterations of it. And it's memoir of of Danny Aiello and Spike Lee and Turturro and uh, what's his name? Richard Edson, the younger brother doing all the reads and discussing it. And they actually talked about that, you know, like Danny Aiello, you know, he's like, look, I want to make a few like. I want to make a few, you know, softer edges on my character, and so they they talked about that very thing, which is interesting. And then the script evolved from there. The book is great. Um, it's just called "Do the Right Thing" from script to screen, but it's a cool book. Yeah, and it's cool. Yeah. That's interesting. That was a
0: good plug for that book. <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah, I think they don't they don't reconcile, and I thought it was kind of amazing that Mookie had the balls to walk up to poor Sal sitting on the stoop and be like, "All right, give me my fucking money. Let's go."
3: So they don't really i don't see them as not having reconciled i kind of see it as this is a tension that happens every time something like this happens and 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 you see it you see it slide away like okay we've got this part you know we've we've we know that we're both very tense we know that there's all this anger between us we know that it's your place this time that's been destroyed and once in their interaction, that gets out, they're able to, to bring that tension down a little. It's so fucking sad to see that because that tension deserves to be there. The anger deserves to be there. But they seem just so worn out from it mm-hmm. from, from all the time, you know, that both of them, you know, both sides of the fence are, are seeing this and they're both worn out from it. And Mookie says before he leaves, you know, first of all, Sal, you know, Sal throws the money at him. Mookie says, "Take the money," and, and then Sal, he picks you know. it up, which I love. Right, like, right. Then, then he picks yeah. it up, but I, that, that's that—that's a part of it, you know. That's a part of that—that that alleviation. Like, yes, you know, like I'll I'll take this, and and then there's there's also the last thing that that Mookie says to Sal before walking away, and he he gets Sal's permission to walk away, as if I'm still your employee mm-hmm. until you let me go for the day, you know. Even though it's he's leaving just for the morning, you know, it's he's his employee that morning. He got paid a little yeah. bit, and then he leaves, and I think that that adds to unfortunately yeah we've been here before and we know how it's going to play out right yeah. they're they're
1: used to it yeah it's nothing new it's for them so and sad. and that's I think the point of that and it's a very subtle they <laughs> reconcile very <laughs> subtly and I think that's neat you know at first I was like man I wish they could have been like a little bit more pals in that scene and I'm like but wait no like we got just enough they are you know they still care about each other but it wouldn't have been Too unrealistic if they would have gotten to be too friendly at that moment. Like, there's just that quick thing, like, "Eh," Sal's like, You think it's supposed to get hot again today? Yeah. He's like, Yeah, I think so. And that's that's enough right there. And, you know, that's just, that's it. That's enough. Right. And that's the point, you know, Mm -hmm. is that, wow, like, they're just, okay, back to normal because this wasn't even that unnormal. Right. What happened last night, um, which is the point of the film. I think one of the things that was on my mind when you asked me to come and talk about it was, I love the fact that it's one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that obviously we all know the symbolism of the hottest day of the year, right? Um, right. The powder keg, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call that analogy or that allegory. But I think that what the importance of it being take, to take place in one day is that the subject matter that he was addressing, which was race relations in America, he put it into a microcosm of one day, right, to symbolize decades, centuries of this thing that had been growing. I think that's, I think that's important. You know, I think that was very uh, smart.
3: Right, right. Uh,
0: Giancarlo Esposito, uh-huh. Gus Fring.
3: Yeah, the the all the actors that they got for this. Film oh God, are, Robin are Harris. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's yeah, it's basically the same cast as as uh, School Day or yeah School Days. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Robin Harris. He was he did Bay Bay's Kids. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. House party. Yeah. yeah.
1: House party. Yeah. He that guy. Yeah. I mean, was, my I mean, interesting... my favorite. My, like, there's so much comedy in the movie too that we're not, you know, <laughs> that we don't talk about. I mean, those three dudes yeah. sitting there are just hilarious. Man, I mean, when that the girl runs by and he's like, he's like, oh man, I hope I don't see her naked on payday or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, I can't think about that line ever and not <laughs> yeah, laugh. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, he's kind of the voice of reason among the three sweet Dick Willias. and he's That's why always, he sits in the middle. Yeah. yeah, and he's always got blue on or he's always got a different color. But I love uh I see a lot of directors that find an angle that they obviously love and then they use it to the point of losing all effectiveness. Like the Dutch skewed angle is so great when it's used with purpose or um i.e. Zack Snyder's slow motion and 300 and watching people fall down in slow motion for two hours. By the end, it's like, this, this serves no purpose. But the way that Spike uses the skewed angle just really builds the suspense. It keeps it fun, for me at least, keeps it fun... Um, and it really builds the suspense, especially with the scene with the guy in the Larry Bird shirt, John Savage. Mm-hmm. And usually, you see somebody from a high angle, and it's the the alternation of of power or authority or whatever. But it's kind of got this like Spike Lee twist, where it's not it's not that black and white. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's like the it's not the power so much as like the emotional high almost. Like when Spike is talking to John Savage, and John Savage is uh, seems very dwarfed by the camera, it's not because he's out of control of the situation because he handles it very, very well. I think it's just that bugging Out's emotionality is just at such like an incredible high. It's just I, I don't know. I just thought
3: I just I love it. Well, I think it it does well to evoke you know the 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 emotional state that it's putting this white guy in, you know, and I think that I think that that's a scene that a lot of white people may identify with. I think that the end is a scene that a lot of people, a lot of white people would identify with because this is what you usually see. You don't see what was leading up to it. All you hear is the cops had to come in. You don't see, well actually, the cops had no business being there. There's no reason for them to be here. This was a scuffle. These things happen because it's a very close-knit city block. You could if you fit everyone in the world into the same amount of space that they fit the amount of people who live in New York City, you could fit every single person in the world on Ireland. That's how close people live, you know. They're mm-hmm. basically brothers fighting because there's no way that you can there's no way you can survive such a such a small area. If, if you're not, if you don't treat everyone like family and families fight and the police have no business doing some things and they certainly had no business going in there blind because it's, it's what they did. And it's what Spike Lee is saying. And I would have to I would I would I would agree. Uh, it's what happens constantly. It's so it, it's so messed up. And it's it's like you were saying, it's made for white people. It's showing white people as far as I'm concerned. It's it's using camera trickery. On pretty colors to get him into the seats and then it's letting them know what the hell's been going on mm-hmm. because nobody else is telling us. Yeah,
1: agreed. And I think what you know, I think uh the fact that it was a really hot day, like let's take for instance Sal at the end when he finally loses his temper and bashes the radio. He's not bashing the radio because it's a black kid's radio. He's okay. bashing the radio because it's loud. It's the second time he told him not, you know, to not have it in there. He's been working all day long and he's tired and hot. And already he's personally at a point that has nothing to do with race relations at a point where he's about to just like take a bat out and start hitting stuff. Right. Because they yeah. wear so, clothes. And, and right. And that's what happened. Right. And so, yeah, it, it evolves into this picture that you're talking about that we would all see later on the news that's some racial tension thing. Right. Which I yeah. guess, in a, in a, and certainly we can't discount the fact that it didn't turn into that, but it was started by something not in that realm. Yeah. Right. It was started by everyday stuff like close quarters in a city and being hot and being tired and just tired of listening to your son bitch about not wanting to be there anymore. Absolutely. And it was all these things that just added up into his life. And but what's important is I hope I'm not the only one to watch the film like that. Right. Like <laughs> that's where I go. I go back to my point of like the film. Spike Lee wants the film to be critically analyzed and like thought about in those ways. Like look at the reasons why things happen. Don't just look at the outcomes of what of what happened, right? And but do people do that? You know, or, or, do, or do they just say, "Oh, this, this movie's racist"? Yeah, racist like, and oh, boring. There's know, no okay. plot. Yeah, I think that's
0: like the tough balance is that you know that there's a large majority of people that just they want to go to the movies, they want to escape their reality, and they want to just not think for two hours. And so, you know, obviously we've talked in the past on episodes, there's movie and there's films. And this is obviously a film that gets put into that, like, what, what whether you want to call it true film or not.
3: It's on the AFI Top 100, isn't it?
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, sure, it
1: should be. And you know And that's fine, Jimmy. And that's what movies should do. And there's movies that, that I can't wait to go see that are kind of, you know, that as well. Popcorn movies. I mean, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever. I mean, you can
3: almost say Dunkirk. You know,
1: is. you could almost say Dunkirk in a way. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, even Raiders of the Lost Ark has themes in it. You exactly. Know? So and you got to and, make and, it fun. And, 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 and maybe you don't need to put on your critical thinking cap at Raiders of the Lost Ark. But Spike Lee wanted you to watch this film in that way and that was the intention and for all the fun movies that you can go to on Friday night and eat popcorn and not think and be insulated you know you can watch tv for that too you you should also realize that there are pieces out there that are are meant for something for you to not just waste your time with and this is one of those yeah and if you're going to sit down and watch it you, you should watch it with those intentions
3: certainly i mean if 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 he didn't want you to think about it then he wouldn't have spray painted Tawana told the truth on the brick wall
1: yeah
0: yeah
3: you know Tawana broadly uh, that issue that was I think in 1984 where a whole bunch of white guys and invo- in, including a bunch of cops raped her she was like 15 years old uh, dumped her in a garbage bag and she was full when they found her she was in that she was <laughs> she was found in a garbage bag filled with feces and the prosecutor uh, threw her in jail and said, you can get out if you tell us all it was a hoax. She refused. To this day, she refuses. I think I read uh, an article that she'd actually started paying uh, restitution for lies that they said that she had had said, but she hadn't. Like, sh- they weren't lies. Wow. And uh, she's still having to deal with that. She's still yeah. having to pay for it. It's fucked up. But... That's that's a point, you know, that's that's an exclamation mark, hey, pay attention. Yeah. You know, we've got more to tell you. And I think that it speaks a lot to white people like you were saying. That that just backs up your argument because there's no there's there's nobody who's black who's who's questioning whether she did, you know? I mean that was what happened to Tawana Broadly from uh my understanding was was the the culmination of a number of things that have been happening to a lot of youths in the area. So that yeah, that just adds to the point yeah
1: i mean i think his intentions were this is a civics lesson mm-hmm. you know for the people that don't know about this and aren't going to get it taught in their civics class yeah. you know
3: you know actually i was going back to to the reason for the for for all this happening there were there were moments throughout where there would have been a a, a picture of 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 a black man put on the wall in sales pizzeria and one of them and and what's what's really uh, I th- I think uh, important to note is the fact that at one point Danny Aiello's Sal Sal tried to buy uh, a picture of uh, Malcolm X and Martin King mm-hmm. from Smiley, but Smiley was mad at Sal's mm-hmm. son. They just you know they would just been in an argument, That's... and he pulls out the money. He's like, here, here, and he doesn't take it. You know, he doesn't take the Smiley doesn't take the money and give him the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the anger, and that adds to the the powder keg that you. There's just so much buildup that you you can find. It's fascinating how, they, like, it seems so loose. You know, it plays so loose, but everything is so intricate and and built yeah, on each other.
1: Yeah, the importance but, is in the details. You know, oh, yeah. like the reason why Sal roll out the bat. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was all these little tiny things that are just personal to people that don't have anything to do with the bigger picture that was being addressed, and like that's his point. You know yeah. The importance and the beauty is in the details.
0: Yeah, I feel like we would also be doing this movie a disservice if we didn't address the sequence where the fourth wall is broken and they have that very symmetrical zoom on Spike and John Turturro and the Korean grocer mm-hmm. as they're both... And the Puerto Rican uh, kid. Yeah, yeah, as they're all allowed to just let loose, as if somebody just said, tell us everything that bothers you. And it's very cleverly worded, but anytime you see the fourth wall broken and it's it's done properly and effectively, it's just, uh, I don't know. It was like some of the most mean-spirited and and cruel things said about another culture, a culture that you don't know anything about. But Spike Lee still found a way to make it fun and lighthearted to watch these horrible things being said. And I also think just the the title of the movie, Do the Right Thing, you know, there's no point in which he explains the title or he says, this is how you do the right thing. And I know that's kind of the point of the movie, but doing the right thing for Mookie is different than Radio Rahim doing the right thing. And what exactly is the right thing? Is that the right thing for you? Is it the right thing for your culture? I I mean, there's just so much to go on.
3: Yeah, because... The right thing legally isn't the right thing morally. Right. Like maybe points. throwing the
0: garbage can, you know, maybe he had been putting up with so much all his life and and we don't know that part of Mookie, but he's, you know, maybe he had all this resentment, whatever. Maybe that's what he needed to do to finally make a stand, to make a statement to, uh, like you said, the call to action. Maybe that was doing the right thing, but from a legal standpoint... I think we can safely say that was not doing the right thing. Of
1: course, and legality and morality don't align as much as it's supposed to. I guess. No. In fact, you know, a lot of times legalities maybe designed for people to act immorally. Um, I would agree. So, you know, that then the film, whether intentional by the filmmaker or not, that's in there too. That's why this movie's great. Uh, That's why it's worth talking about because it's got all those layers. Even when you make something that has. Things that happen in it, or themes that are extrapolated, and you didn't even really see them yourself, didn't you know you did something successful?
0: Oh yeah, I think the worst thing that you could do as a director is someone's like, "Yeah, I li- your your film was okay," like leaving somebody with a neutral taste in their mouth. Like I can't I can't do anything with that. At least hate it. To be able to evoke an emotion like that is, uh, I think it's impressive. But I read about. Uh, do you remember his Kickstarter that Spike Lee did two years ago? It was for the uh, sweet blood of Jesus. He did a Kickstarter, and I used to it used to drive me crazy when celebrities would do Kickstarters because I I've done a couple, I've been involved in a couple, and I found out a couple years ago that like for some reason I have a really heavy heart for and like a really serious passion for these crowdfunding projects. But yeah, Zach Braff did one for a movie that he wanted to do. And I thought it was really obnoxious that he would do that. I thought, you know, you're taking advantage of this system and you clearly have enough money, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but Spike Lee did one for this vampire thriller that he wanted to do. And, of course, he, he made his goal. But he was doing this interview and he said, you know, as, a, as an indie filmmaker, I was doing Kickstarters before there was a Kickstarter. And the idea of doing a Kickstarter is, you know, writing letters and Making calls and networking and offering somebody some incentive to help you out. So now there's a word for it. It's Kickstarter. but yeah, he so I was reading all of these stats about how many new people donated to Kickstarter, who had never donated before, and how many more people Kickstarter brought in and and this the exposure that he, so it, it kind of got me singing a different tune
1: yeah because he did a he did Kickstarter a service and he did uh, he did other people who don't have the, the type of networks that Spike Lee he brought those people into the mix, then maybe they'll donate to my Kickstarter because they see something in mine that was related to his and they wouldn't have, if he wouldn't have done that. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, Spike Lee has always operated as an independent filmmaker, I guess. I don't like to throw that word around a lot, especially nowadays. I mean, you such a buzzword. You know, the three of us in this word in this room know what independent filmmaking means. You know I mean? To say that there's a movie out there right now that Brad Pitt is in, that's independent is kind of an oxymoron. Um, you know, I think maybe they went through their own channels and all those things. But come on, guys, like you're not dealing with what I got to deal with. You know, I, I pay seventy five bucks to close down the street to shoot delivery, and that's you know ten percent of my budget. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, you know. But um, it's interesting. Spike Lee has always been very good at utilizing networks. I mean, he he got you know he got Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jordan to donate money so that he could finish Malcolm X. I had no idea.
0: I did notice looking at his filmography. There's like ten things that he has credits as just thanks So as obviously he's you know yeah
1: he's a nice nice yeah he's doing the right thing <laughs> <laughs> that's good you <laughs>
0: son of a bitch that's got to be our closer
1: uh yeah let's not discount the fact that do the right thing is still albeit all the the heavy things and you know the meaningful things and important things that we were talking about is a fun movie to watch oh yeah his characters are brilliant um you know all of the characters i mean you, you know samuel jackson's character and Obviously, Demare and Sweet Dick Willie. I mean, his character—they're just—it's just a fun movie to watch, and you laugh the whole time, and you laugh genuinely, and you—and you laugh from things that just are so real, um, the reality of things. I mean, I when he when he crinkles up each one of the hundred dollar bills and throws them and counts them as he—I mean, that's hilarious. Yeah. At a moment <laughs> that's completely on the downside of the climactic moment that was so terrible, and that—that's just a funny, funny moment. I like to just live in 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 the reality that like that. Like Danny Aiello is just smart enough as an actor to improv that because that was so awesome.
0: Yeah, it was, and that Spike Lee knows Sal well enough to know that he's really not going to pick these dollars up. So in a moment of survival, fuck it, I'll take them. Yeah. And as far as this movie being so lighthearted, I think this. I, I don't know if this is a fair example, but Aronofsky is another one of my absolute favorite directors, and he's only. You know, he's one of those directors that is unbelievably talented with only seven movies under his belt. And his movies are also very relevant and also very powerful. But I don't really ever need to watch Requiem for a Dream ever again. Ever again. I remember I first watched that and I was like, wow, this is one of the most powerful, important movies I've ever seen. And I don't ever want to fucking watch it again. And so to have a movie like do the right thing, like I could watch this movie at any point and it's one of those movies that's fun to watch with people who haven't seen it like black swan is a, a little bit lighter but he's just a heavy director certainly you know? and like i've been looking at silence it's been staring me in the face on the itunes movies for the last like month and i wanted to watch it i've been wanting to watch it but i've been very busy and very tired and when i sit down i just want to like that's scorsese, is that the yeah. Is scorsese yeah that's like, scorsese yeah. but i knew that it's going to be an emotional uh, yeah. undertaking, mm-hmm. and you know it's not going to end well, and you know it's going to be about three hours long, and I don't want to do a disservice by, like, I just want to sit down and watch, like, 20 minutes of Portlandia and then go to bed. Yeah,
3: I'd say a better a better comparison if you're going to compare Spike Lee to another uh, director, or if you were going to pair directors and you had to choose one for Spike Lee, I'd say probably Jim Jarmusch would be a better comparison or, or a better pairing. yeah uh he he, he, he's i mean he's he's been around for for a while too he came up around the same time as spike lee he did uh well he did stranger than paradise Mm -hmm. which which had uh richard bedson i believe is his name
1: Uh, i mean stranger than paradise i don't remember stranger than
0: paradise i remember like uh broken flowers and coffee and cigarettes sure well and
1: dead man yeah 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 uh
0: he
3: did uh ghost dog
0: oh
1: ghost dog Mm -hmm. ghost dog's a fantastic movie my favorite part about that film is that the two guys in it that are best friends and they don't even speak the same language, <laughs> yeah. but they're best friends. Yeah, you know, that's just an amazing concept. Yeah. I love that.
3: I think that Jim Jarmusch, as far as as far as um, our artistic appeal goes, I think that Jim Jarmusch and Spike Lee are probably uh, a great pairing. Yeah, they are a great yeah. pairing. That's I just
0: I just think it shows it shows talent to have a movie that has a certain magnitude, and also watchability, mm-hmm. you know. And oh, yeah. by the way, I did finally watch Silence with Anna. It was, oh, yeah. It was good. Okay. Maybe you want to watch The Mission. Uh-huh. Remember that? With, with De Niro? De Niro yeah. and, of course. Oh, and yeah. also with Liam Neeson in oh, yeah. It. yeah, sure, Yeah, that's true. I don't I mean, that, that's a silence.
1: great way to sum up to Do the Right Thing. I mean, it's, it's an important film, but it's a joy to watch on top of it. I mean, you can just go into it, and if you've seen it ten times, just go watch it for the eleventh time and just watch it through the layer of, the, of just it being a fun movie to watch. Yeah. Uh, with great characters. Yeah, and you can do that. Uh my favorite Darunowski, Aronofsky movie is The Wrestler by far. Oh yeah. And the most It's not not even not even the competition on that one. Yeah. I,
0: I know love... that brought my childhood back for sure. <laughs> I grew up on wrestling.
3: I love I love The Wrestler. Uh you know, my girlfriend actually said that uh uh, my short film "Speed Racer Behind the Wheel" was uh, the same narrative structure as "The Wrestler," which I found very. Yeah, that's uh, a great. I compliment. was very prideful of it. Yeah, yeah. That's I a thought huge it was. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was an
0: Aronofsky <laughs> film when I started watching it. Up until when Norm finally showed up, I was like, "Wait a minute! This isn't an Aronofsky short." Yeah.
3: No, uh, no, yeah, Wrestler's great. I like The Fountain, though, for the special effects and the yeah. petri dish. Yeah,
1: it's a beautiful movie, but I don't know. I, I I get lost in, like, he's in the little bubble tree, and, like, I get it, but I'm like, oh, I don't know. I mean... That's fair. That's the, very fair. You know, The Wrestler is, you know, like, it, I think that's where I'd compare him to Spike Lee. I mean, it's just a gritty film about a real dude, and, you know, you get where that guy's from, you know? His time is over, you know? He existed in this space that was only a fad and he just you know and, and for him it was his whole world and he doesn't he doesn't fit in anymore and you know that the you know but yet he's yeah. still awesome and like the kids come over and wrestle with him still i mean yeah, it's like, you he, still trans- like him. he transcended generations but not in, the, in not in a, as a commodity you know, and it was yeah. such a tough spot to be in yeah you know he was still a, a celebrity to kids but it wasn't going to get him money anymore he was going to live in a trailer
3: yeah i really like that yeah absolutely
0: There were so many characters in Do the Right Thing that I really enjoyed watching, and I think were really fun characters, despite the fact that they didn't have any, like, pet the dog moments, you know? I think they were just acted to the point of, you know, like, I was, like, rooting for Radio Rahim, even as he's, like, harassing the Korean grocers, like, to make them take out the batteries and count them. I'm like, come on, man, this isn't you, but then I was like, oh, wait— Kind of is. No, but it is. I mean, yeah. you haven't really, you yeah. haven't no, really done anything to make yeah. me be like, yeah, I no, like yeah. him. No, but <laughs> it
1: is. And I'll even go so far as to say, I mean, it's a cultural thing, man. Like, the, Like, he wants, you know, like... When you go through the drive through you don't leave until you check it all and make sure they didn't put mayonnaise on the sandwich if you ordered it without <laughs> mayonnaise I mean that's just uh, that's a thing yeah. absolutely you know check the date you know and Count I love the I love watching it and it's the date is they're good they're 1991 and I'm like yeah. man I'm old March yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah cuz you well, can that,
0: tell that he's gotten batteries before that were old so that's why he's asking Well that.
3: He, he's he, you know uh you I were just hope. saying you want to make sure that your sandwich is perfect he his his life is that is that boombox yeah. he wants nothing but the best food for his boombox. that's box, it you know? that's his life man that's yeah. his thing man you they take the korean uh grocer takes it personally but he's yeah he doesn't understand right. right. no,
1: yeah. radio's not being personal He no. just his batteries is, are his life <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah and
0: also 20 fucking batteries oh awesome? my god i, love that it. Seems, I looked up every, everything, in, everything
1: in the movie is an extreme Everything yeah. right to the characters to their personalities to them oh, yeah. going over the top to the right down to how many batteries it takes to run Radio Raheem's radio. Oh yeah, it's
0: yeah. Perfect. And first for uh, Mookie to get paid two fifty a week for a delivery boy in nineteen eighty nine—that's good money. That's not bad. That's good money. That's that's something. That's something to hold on to. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But he uh, did burn that, the place down.
1: Maybe that's just yeah. New York. Maybe that's just New York money. Maybe oh he, yeah.
0: His hand slipped off of that garbage can. Allegedly. You know that actually
3: that that was that was something I I, I noticed. As you were saying it, Corey was when you were when you were telling us about the garbage can uh and and you could see him thinking about it, and I remembered watching it and thinking that he was kind of lifting it half-heartedly when I was watching it.
1: I think so, yeah, yeah. and you know there's the shot where he's you know our our listeners can't, but you know he's sitting there and he's just he lets his hand slide down his face where he's like, "What do I do here?" He, it was a struggle for him, yeah, I, it was I, I don't think it was like, okay, that's time to go do this thing i mean it he struggled with making that decision, and I would
3: say that for me or anyone to decide whether or not he'd done the right thing, I think uh is disingenuous to the point of the entire movie, Agreed. yeah, and
0: he had kind of played the mediator between between bugging out when he first kind of broke him up and and got him out of there. But he was also kind of trying to protect his own job. But like you said, that look when he lets his hands fall off his face, it's almost like he's conveying this attitude of like, man, I don't don't want to do this, but I have to.
1: That's it. I mean, Uh that's it. That's what the hands down his face mean. He means I've got to go do this thing I don't really want to do.
3: Yeah.
0: And I think that he's been forced into – everybody has been pushed into this position where everybody is like, I don't want to do this, but I have to. I don't want to bust this boombox up but I have no other choice. This
3: yeah, absolutely. And,
0: and I mean it even goes so far as well, I won't I won't I won't defend the cops because that was ridiculous. But... There's that is but the, the cops one thing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's the one thing that did not have to happen. And let's 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 not forget how they were treated by the firefighters as well. Yeah. How they were all sprayed by the firefighters. Mhm.
1: Right, they that, were getting uh, hosed. Very,
3: yeah. very, very big visual cue there. Yeah, reminiscent of all yeah, the 60s uh-huh. footage uh-huh. that you see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's very, mm-hmm. oh, it was messed up.
0: Well, normally we do trivia, but Norm, Norm has his episode coming with uh, the Kurt Russell. We're doing a, a oh, yeah. Breakdown. Kurt, Kurt Russell love letter episode. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure when it'll be, but you're more than welcome to come back for that. Sure. We did, we did Death Proof once, and uh, it's my favorite Tarantino movie and the two guys that were with me could barely could barely get through it hated it and i just revelled and basked in the practical effects love of uh, Kurt russell
1: <laughs> yeah the i mean the practical effects and that's pretty great uh, it's tough for me to say i, I got to say I, I mean i have them but i don't i think i've only watched them once i mean my favorite quentin tarantino movie is pulp fiction forever that's I mean, definitely
0: the most important i think the the most uh i love kill bill volume 1 <laughs> But
3: I'm a, I'm a big fan of action movies.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, Reservoir Dogs. I mean, it's oh, pretty... Yeah. You know, I mean, it's Reservoir Dogs Pulp Fiction. I mean, I guess they're a tie. They've all been... Depending on what mood I'm in, you yeah. know, so...
0: <laughs> yeah, we've only done a couple of Tarantino movies. But anyway, if you want to check out the rest of our episodes, you can do so at soundcloud.com slash theater Of course, you've been listening to 90.7 WAZU. We're here every Tuesday at 9. Uh, and next week, we will be doing... Kurt Russell. We're going to call it Breakdown, but it's really going to be every Kurt Russell movie that he's ever done. <laughs> so join us for that. Thanks to our guest, Sam Ball. Thanks, Jimmy. It's been fun, hasn't it, Sam? It has. <laughs> yes. And uh, Corey, thanks for, thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I can talk about these types of things all day long. And uh, until next time, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Sam Ball. I'm Corey Gilbert. And you've been listening
0: to Movie Show Theater.
2: Drummer. Music hitting your heart cause I, I know you got a soul hey, hey. Listen if you're missing y'all Swinging while I'm singing hey. Giving what you're getting Knowing what I'm knowing While the black band sweating In the river I'm rolling Gotta give us what we want uh. Gotta give us what we need hey. <laughs> Our freedom of speech is freedom of death We, we got, got to fight the power that be. Fight the power Fight the power Fight the power, fight the power. Fight the power. Fight the power! Fight the power! Fight the power! Fight the power! We got, we got to fight to the power, power that beat. beats! rhythm's designed to bounce with helps and death Designed to fill your mind now that you realize the prize arrives! We got to pump the stuff to make it tough! From the heart it's a start, a work of art to revolutionize, make a change, something strange! People, people! We all the same, no one not the same, cause we don't know the game!